Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. Today, I figured I'd do this episode on a walk with Mike and talk about a couple of things that I've been promising to talk about, which one is everybody's been hitting me up about Ranger School, kind of the application of you know Ranger School and how it applies to people's lives and mindset, physical abilities, etc. Look, my, my thing is, especially when it comes to things that deal with mindset is you don't necessarily have to experience the suck to get the benefit. If you listen to somebody's experience, that's why I love podcasts and book books. You could actually get uh, and learn a lot of great things and skill sets and mindset um, and apply that to your everyday life. You don't your EDL can be truly positively affected. You just don't have to go lose thirty pounds and then potentially be a no go. In order to get the benefit, also today I wanted to talk about this tactical post that I did recently, and of course this Hurricane Dorian, which is due to heat hit the East Coast, hit Florida on Sunday evening, Monday morning, potentially at a Cat Four, which is over 130 miles per hour, which is a big hurricane, which could do a lot of devastation to the East Coast. So. First of all, let's kick it off with this tactical conversation I've been talking about. I, I actually just did a post on my personal Instagram at mike.a.glover. And the recent post was talking about the tactical industry and kind of its effects of you know, the liability and what it does to people. And is that something that we're accepting now as a society? Is that something that the industry is on board, the tactical industry is on board with? Or is this just some clown show that we've accepted and it, as part of our entertainment? You know, the, the big issue I have with this is, you know, it's funny. One, I want to say a lot of people think I'm specifically talking about individuals and because maybe they see the post, they see uh, those other people's posts and then correlate the two. And I want you to know that I'm not talking about anyone uh, specifically. I'm not talking about guys who teach mechanics. The big difference here is I'm talking about the tactics. There's a difference between formulating an idea and mechanical efficiency and how you maneuver a gun, for example, or even how you shoot and maneuver your body, or maybe how you apply marksmanship. Because there's something very beneficial for for people who haven't shot competitive shooting, for for example, IPSC or IDPA with USPSA, um, when you shoot competition, you are learning the way to shoot more efficiently, efficiently in that arena, in that game. And that will translate into some skills. But obviously, let me give you the example. USPSA and uh, IPSC, for example, if you stand out during a stage, you might start in the open in a box, not behind cover, and shoot, for example, El Presidente, and you'll have three targets presented in front of you. And then you'll have to do a slide lock reload and then re-engage those three targets. And you might do it off a turn. You might do it facing the targets. You might hit a pie rack in front of you. Well, obviously, that is not realistic in the tactical sense but it, it definitely has its application in bettering your mechanics, bettering your gun handling. And so do I think it's all for nothing? Do I think people should not be doing that? That's not what I'm saying. Absolutely, I think you should do that. When I was a special forces guy, 
I did. I used to write concepts, meaning I was the leader in charge of guys, and I would write concepts to shoot with competitive shooters, like Rob Latham, like Todd Jarrett, like Dave Savigny, all these pro- professional level shooters. But when they came to us and taught us, or we came to them, they didn't teach us tactics. They taught us mechanics. So I don't have an issue with that. Here's the issue that I have. I have an issue with an instructor who is teaching shooting, talking about the application of tactics when they've never been in that situation before. Now, sometimes, obviously, you have to paint a picture. And I even tell stories for example, uh, example, in demonstrating uh, certain points and tactics, I tell stories from other people's experiences because I didn't specifically have that experience. Um, for example, I've never shot a bad guy transitioning from a carbine to a pistol, but I have been in the room when somebody's done that. Um, so what I want you to understand is I don't think that it's wrong for people who teach mechanics to, a, to, to drive home a point and to demonstrate their, their specific point by talking about somebody else's experience. But what I do not like is young men creating a tactic based on uh, their imagination or something they saw and then making, making it their own. Let me give you a great example. Let me give you the, the, the most prevalent example in social media space. The greatest example is this thing where people are doing these deliberate scans of their carbine after they shoot a target. So it started with a few influ- influencers. I could probably name the five major influencers who all do the same exact thing. I imagine at some point... One of the guys drove the gun, he shot the target in front of him, and then he did some kind of deliberate action because maybe he was told that, or maybe he saw somebody else do it, and then he thought it was a good idea. And what I mean is, you drive the carbine to the target, and then after you're done engaging the target, you follow the barrel of the gun down below the target, which I'm assuming is to... uh, uh, replicate what you would do in tracking the target to the ground, right? And then you might do a deliberate scan left, right, and then behind you. So obviously uh, scanning, observing, and then looking behind you. Well, here here's the inherent problem with this. One is you're training yourself mechanically like a robot in muscle memory, right? Which means there's no conscious application of using your head to think about what you're doing and you're ingraining a habit that you will do every single time. The the best point of this is the, the mocking of people press checking their guns again and again. They get the gun out, they press check it, they shoot a target, they press check it again, they shoot a target, they press check it again. Well, the reason people are mocking that is because people are overdoing that because it's muscle memory. When you, when you do that again and again, you are teaching your mind to do things not, at, not operating consciously at the speed of a gunfighter war, which is operating fast in milliseconds, but doing something reactively. Um, and what I, what I try to tell people is you have to have available consciousness on the forefront of your mind to be able to take in, take in information 
and make sound, sound decisions um, at the speed of a gunfight. So what does that mean? Well, here's, here's what will happen. I promise you. If you drive your gun to a target and you shoot it and then you bring the target and you drive the barrel to the ground in the dirt every single time, you will do that after every single engagement or after every uh, index or finishing of engagement on the last target. So let me, let me give you an example. If you walk into a room and you have three distinct targets, these three distinct targets are real people. They're bad guys. You walk in and you know you have to address all three of them. And you were taught tactically that you would have to give each of them a little bit of love if you were by yourself, which I would agree with. Because if you give them a 0.15 split in between shots and in a couple seconds, uh, less than a couple seconds, you can engage all three depending on the distance between uh, the three in front of you. So as opposed to shooting one, gunning one down, and then assessing and then moving on. Well, let's say you have this ingrained habit of driving or indexing your barrel on the third target. When stress, when you are induced with stress, you will do things mechanically, more so than you will consciously. So I promise you, you will revert back to your muscle memory. Instinctively, that's what you will do, especially if you have a lot of repetitions. So you'll drive the gun, boom, 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 boom. And then on that last target, you'll drop the gun and index it like you were shooting paper, which inherently is a problem, one with shooting paper or even reactive still, and not understanding that you have to be consciously available. There is a danger in shooting repetitiously for the sake, for the, for the sake of speed and efficiency to demonstrate, meaning you have to think outside the box and have to be readily conscious in order to engage a real life threat because things change rapidly and you have to make decisions rapidly based off of things changing. So it's a constant game of reactionary adaptation. Now, when you do that and you drive your gun down in the dirt on that dirt target and that first target's still alive and they have the ability to... Uh, pull the trigger on that gun, or recompose themselves, find cover and concealment, break contact, reacquire you uh, in their sights, or whatever it may be, you are sitting on that third target camping because you were mechanically doing something that you were ingrained on a flat range. So that is the issue. Growing up in special operations, we've seen this so many times. One of the biggest issues is with a two-shot string called a double tap. Now, obviously the versions of it are the control pair, which I have two sight pictures versus a double tap, which I have one sight picture. Well, every target we used to go into a house and shoot, we would shoot two times. Well, that's good when you're in a room with three of your buddies, four of your buddies, six of your buddies, where everybody shoots that dude two times. But if you do that as a singleton and you shoot two times and move on, you potentially aren't going to put that person down. I shot a person 10 times point blank range with a carbine uh, before they went down. So this understanding of the real danger in applying mechanics, uh, especially in special operations realm and reality, could be correlated to civilian, the civilian realm. 
when we started going to war, we started realizing, well, two, two shots isn't going to take a guy down. Now we need to do five shots. But wait, do we need to have any set rhythm that we shoot these guys at? How about consciously you shoot the target until you feel like you've destroyed the target? And so if that takes five rounds for you or 10 rounds for you, then uh, that's on you. We actually started shooting 3D targets, for example, that have a pump house. And that pump house, that, that uh, balloon in the center of that three-dimensional target, would not be dropped unless you shot it. So you might shoot that target 10 times before you hit that pump house or pop that balloon, which, which meant that if you shot it once and you hit it and it dropped, that was demonstrating from a, a reaction that you engaged and disabled the target versus uh, shooting it twice in paper and maybe those two shots being not in the pump house and then you move on. So now correlate this to the tactical space today. Here's the inherent issue. Is these kids and their kids, based off no experience, are creating tactics and creating habits that people are emulating based off what they're watching on social media in one-minute stints? Therein lies the danger, which is if I'm shooting and emulating and then other people are emulating, which is rampant on social media. How many people have you seen do the same exact drills these major influencers are doing again and again without context? And then they explain the context and it makes no tactical sense or relevancy. So, you know, I, 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 I get frustrated in this because I hear people's debate. But to me, in the community of special operations guys that are on social media that communicate about this problem... People who don't have experience don't want to listen. And so they debate us. Well, that, that's not true because you're going to get something out of it. And it's like, no, you're not. Because when it comes to tactics and ingraining all this or implementing, implementing and ingraining all these uh, movements into your body, into your mind, you are doing unnecessary damage uh, and building unnecessary plaque when you don't have to, when you don't need to. And, and I would say, statistically speaking, about 90%, about 90%. So if I did 10 posts and I look at 10 of these posts and 10 of these creative tactics, nine of them would be completely irrelevant. And that's no exaggeration. I wouldn't exaggerate when it came to this. Nine of them would be irrelevant, meaning I've never seen it in 15 Combat rotations to war. Eight of those at war, seven of those as a uh, OGA contractor operating in austere environments in war zones, not just Afghanistan and Iraq. So I operate with guys who have operated the highest tiered levels on the planet in counterterrorism operation that invent and create tactics. The greatest thing that you need to understand about tactics is people think pioneering tactics means being creative and making shit up. You don't have to do that because tactics, especially offensive tactics, especially when it comes to individual movements and gun handling skills, don't need to vary much in order for you to be successful. You don't have to come up, come up with some creative plan. It's been done and proven in combat again and again and again. 
So do one thing and master that basic skill set. People always want to talk to me about, hey man, I want to do some advanced training. Well, unfortunately for you, there is no advanced training. The highest tiered units in the world aren't the best because they're doing something advanced. They're the highest tiered units because they are mastering the basics. Tactics are very different than fundamentals or mechanics. Very different. Tactics is mastering or applying and mastering the mechanics and the fundamentals in an operational environment or a real life scenario in self-defense for, for civilians. So when you understand tactics, you understand that it is the maneuvering, the gun handling skills, all these small subtasks that are built around your understanding of how you are consciously going to be available to implement those skill sets, to think outside the box, right? To be readily available, to make good decisions under stress. And tactics are very different than mechanics. Again, I don't have problem with people teaching mechanics as long as they don't violate the principles of tactics. That's, that's something inherent you have to understand about what we communicate in tactics is there are principles. One of those principles is security. As long as you don't violate security, then you can have an open form of multiple tactics, a myriad of different tactics where one might be one and the same where one might not be better than the other. But inherently, there is a right answer uh, when it comes to explaining these tactics from a realm of understanding and not from a realm of creativity because I was in my room and decided to try to figure out a tactic. That's not going to fly, man. And what's disgusting to me is these, you know what, I don't, I don't necessarily blame the influencers. What I do blame is the industry that put these influencers on a pedestal. They reinforce what they're doing because it's popular with money, with product, and then push their stuff through the, uh, the interwebs. I know a lot of shadow industry companies that are operating behind the scenes and helping these influencers get out there by sponsoring them teaching bad tactics. The most dangerous thing about that uh, precedent is when a young man watches an influencer and he absorbs and takes in his bad tactics and then applies it in real life, then he's in danger of going to prison for the rest of his life, hurting himself or hurting somebody else. And the games that these kids are playing, guns are not a fucking game. Tactics are not a fucking game. The gunplay shit, if you haven't noticed, people are over it. But taking tactics and being creative and making shit up as you go, I think we're at, we're at the pinnacle of getting over it. And I think you're going to see uh, in the near future um, people realizing that all the stuff that they're seeing online, this circus of clowns pretending to be tacticians is going to die off. I hope it does. And so we can get back to the basics and then really teaching tactics for those that need it the most. 
All right, I'm off that soapbox, guys. Hey, let's talk about this hurricane. Hurricane Dorian is hitting uh, the east coast of Florida as a Cat 3, Cat 4. Now, when you look at Cat 3s and Cat 4s historically, because they do decline in energy when they make landfall, they uh, typically aren't catastrophic. But when you look at Hurricane Andrew that hit at a Cat 5, and then was degraded, you're talking about millions and billions of dollars in damage and a, a minimum of uh, some form of casualties and medical and infrastructure issues. I love when uh, people hear hurricanes coming in, they go to Walmart and they buy out all the water, milk, and bread. Bread and water is the last of your worries. When you're in a Cat 4 hurricane, which is about 130 miles an hour to, I believe, 156 miles per hour, you are in a category of wind and damage that rips roofs off, off of homes. So the last thing you need to be worried about is bread and milk. You need to get your ass out of the path of the hurricane and head north if you're in Florida. You need to go a minimum to... Georgia, South Carolina, um, and get away from the path of that hurricane and its most damaging uh, uh, winds based on the outsides of the of the uh, center of that hurricane. Look, our our model predict modeled predictions and weather are very good. They're looking at landfall on Sunday evening, Monday morning, early morning, and a hundred percent chance it's going to hit Florida. The, the model predicts now the southern point at Miami, the northern point on the Florida-Georgia line, but somewhere in between, it's going to uh, hit Florida and make landfall. So we, we are often asked, I'm often asked, what do I need to do, do to prepare? Well, if you are staying, you need to go to a shelter if you do not have a home made of brick and mortar. Most homes in Florida, because I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida, are, are made of aluminum and sheets of plywood, right? They're, they're made of uh, very lightweight, cheap materials. If you live in one of those kind of homes, you need to evacuate your home because hiding somewhere in the middle of your home is not going to suffice with sustained winds of 130 miles an hour. That's like getting hit with a tornado for a long period of time. Uh, I recommend you go to your shelter, which typically are at schools or institutions that are more reinforced. There has been ca cases and casualties, mass ca casualties produced by people going to those shelters and then them completely being destroyed, where hundreds of people have been injured, if not killed. I also recommend that if you have windows on your homes, that you reinforce those windows with plywood. That you hammer up, most houses in Florida know this routine, but you hammer up uh, some form of wood so it does not break the windows in your home and cause shrapnel to run rampant throughout your home. A vortex of wind that sucks in your glass, breaks it, will run that glass through your home like a tornado. I've seen it happen before. Also, I also recommend that you take your pets. Do not leave your pets outside 
or even inside if you evacuate. Take them with you. A good tactic is if you can't afford to live, but you can afford the gas for that period of time, drive north and sleep out of your car with your milk and your bread. You're better and safer to do that while the hurricane makes landfall for a day than you are to sit in your home in the direct path of that hurricane. I hope you guys take heed to that message and I hope you guys follow it. Um, any tribe members or anybody really in, in danger, Arizona is obviously far away. But if you made uh, the trip, we would we would take care of you. You would have a home somewhere. I mean, it wouldn't be economical because you probably save more money by getting a hotel um, going north. But we offer it up because uh, we understand that natural disasters displace a lot of people. All right, guys, let's talk about ranger school and survival, man. I've, I've been on this big mindset kick. I've always, I've always taught mindset in the form of, of resiliency. But something that I've been doing with a tribe, I actually did a webinar last week with a tribe. Uh, if, you, if you don't know what the tribe is, it's a private membership uh, for tribe members only where we provide content, webinars. Um, for example, if Kevin, my special forces sniper buddies in town teaching a long gun course, I'll record him and then we'll post that to the tribe Facebook page, maybe to the Instagram page and allow people access to that content to get more out of it. More importantly than that, um, you have for the membership fee access to free expos in spring and fall. These expos are three-day expos which include overlanding, shooting, med, mindset, everything in between. And when you do these expos, they're absolutely free because we understand that travel is expensive and we want to offer the benefit of bringing the community together, but also giving them training as well. And so that membership, I've been doing these webinars on mindset. And what I've started to do is webinars on combat mindset. Now, I kind of hate some of the niches. Uh, some, of it are, some of them are marketing tactics and the verbiage. For example, combat mindset or warrior mindset, you could find probably 15 books on each. Now, there is something to be said about the mindset that is built for combat and that is utilized in combat that can correlate to your to your life in, in the civilian space. Meaning, if I have an experience, most people think that combat mindset is this overcoming your fears or overcoming obstacles. And, it, and it, yes, it has a lot to do with that. But there's a whole bunch of steps before that takes place that you do deliberately that build your resiliency and build the infrastructure of mindset for you to be prepared for those worst case scenarios. So I, I want to talk about that more because I think it correlates to civilian life and I think it's beneficial for you guys. And so when I went out and started thinking about all the training that I did, Ranger School was a very impactful time in my life. Ranger School actually set me up mindset-wise for a lot of the resiliency, a lot of the hardened uh, ideology that I developed in mindset to be successful in Special Forces training. To be successful in combat. So what is Ranger School? Ranger School is a two-month course that simulates combat where you are food deprived, you are sleep deprived, and you are forced to operate in austere environments and be a combat leader or a combat follower. 
meaning you have to conduct simulated combat operations in this uh, environment. And so when I went to Ranger School, I kind of had a, a different impression of that. I remember the night before Ranger School, I was kind of feeling anxious because I was wondering if I, I could be successful. My squad leader, Staff Sergeant Harris, who was my mentor, was successful, and he had set me up for success. I went to pre-ranger. I was successful in pre-ranger. I had trained to be physically fit. I had studied up on patrolling, on planning, on land navigation, and I knew that I had a high chance of succeeding, but I wasn't sure. And so that uncertainty gave me anxiety and made me wonder if I had what it took. I thought the school was going to be all about attrition, but in reality, the school is about training, not just assessing. Obviously, assessment is part of every kind of selection and difficult school, especially in the military, but it wasn't there to break me and then kick me out. It was more there to break me and to assess to see what I was made of and to truly test if I was able to perform and lead in combat operations under those worst conditions. I lost about 30 pounds in Rainer School. I came out, I had scars on my back. My feet for years still tingled because I went through during winter Ranger School. Um, you know, traditionally you would wear a Ranger tab with white thread to let everybody know you're a winter Ranger. Because if you're a winter Ranger, it's a little bit more tough than being a summer ranger. Actually, I, I think I wouldn't have succeeded as a summer ranger because I run hot when it comes to uh, uh, hot weather injuries. So I went to ranger school as a 19-year-old kid. Didn't know much about it, but I knew that I wanted to wear the ranger tab and I wanted the prestige behind it. So, uh, yeah, there's no... There's no lying about that. I wanted to have a tab. I wanted people to know that I had been through one of the toughest, most difficult schools, but I also knew I needed the experience to do that. And that tab stood for that. People joke sometimes and talk about the tab and they say, hey, um, you know, that tab keeps you warm at night. If you're cold, it keeps you cool during the day. If you're warm, it, it's the incentive behind the tab and the experience behind the tab could get you through anything. And there's something to be said about that, especially when, when it comes to mindset, because it's almost like a rite of passage. When you have the tab and you see other men with the tab, you know what they've been through. And so you're part of this elite group of people who have been through Rainer School. Now, I want to make this very clear because I was never in the 75th Ranger Regiment. I always wanted to be. It's part of my career that I wish I would have pursued. In fact, later on in my Special Forces career, I almost went to Ranger Reconnaissance Detachment or went to selection for Ranger Reconnaissance Detachment for RRD. Um, they, just, they just told me as an 18 series guy, I had to reclass. And if I reclass before I went to RRD selection and I didn't make it, they would put me at the needs of the Army, which means, meant they would kick me back to the 82nd, um, which I didn't want that. So I was never in the 75th Ranger Regiment, and there's a difference between Ranger Regiment and Ranger School. When you go to Ranger Regiment and you're in one of the three Ranger Battalions, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, you have to go to Ranger School as a 11 Series MOS. Most MOSs in Ranger Regiment 
are kind of required to go to ranger school. Some of them don't have to. You don't have to. And, but mostly all the 11 series or common arms MOSs of Ranger Regiment, including uh, people like medics or the Ford observers, etc., have to go to Ranger school. And so it's definitely a rite of passage for them because if they don't make it in Ranger school, they're not going to be in Ranger school long. So that's important to, to, to line out from the beginning. I went to Ranger school as an infantryman trying to better myself. I, I, at my uh, beginning of my career, I got recruited to go into the old guard because they changed my MOS. I actually had a Ranger Option 40 contract. But 11 hotels, which is anti-armor, anti-armor basically shooting 50 cows and tow missiles off of Humvees, wasn't in Ranger Regiment. And so they made me an 11 hotel without me understanding that. And then when it came time for the Ranger instructors to come around, it was too late. I had already been through the training. So my only option was to go to the old guard, the 3rd Infantry Regiment, and then reclass as 11 Bravo, which they did. And then when I had the opportunity, I can go put a 4187 and go to Ranger Regiment, which I didn't because by the time I came around to it, 9-11 happened, and I decided to go Special Forces. So I in process in a Ranger school, and I show up for zero week. Zero week is the week prior to Ranger School starting where you can knock out the PT test, you can knock out your land nav, and you can do a, a couple of things uh, to get knocked out prior to the school starting. So when they assess the first week to determine whether or not you're going to stay or go based on the gates you made, um, you could be successful prior to showing up and they wouldn't really mess with you when all that was going down and you knew you could move on in the training. Well, Little did I know that zero week was going to be harder than actual ranger school. I mean, zero week was one of the most difficult parts of ranger school because they smoked us constantly. And what does that mean is a smoke session, for example, is where they take you to physical, um, basically muscle failure in every aspect where everybody's puking, everybody's exhausted, and everybody's broken where they get people to quit. And people did quit during zero week. And it was the first form of me understanding what embracing the suck meant. Because you had no option. What I know after the fact uh, in, in training soldiers is that your physical body is only going to last so long. In fact, there's some major muscle groups that I can implement or, or exercise in your body where I could have you puking in less than 20 minutes. And if I make you put out that much effort, I am truly testing your will mentally to continue to push your physical body. Now, I always talk about physical conditioning and how people can improve the resiliency and mindset. And one of those tactics is by doing uh, hard workouts of the day. CrossFit, uh, Jim Jones, whatever it may be. Because you will hit a wall. And the question is, when you hit that wall, what do you do? Because mentally, you can easily check out and just stop your physical body. You can say, I'm in pain, I'm suffering, I'm not going to do this. Or you can continue to drive on and find a way. When you understand that suffering is an equal opportunist, you understand that everybody is suffering the same. It's just a matter of who's willing to prepare their, propel their physical body using their mindset in order to get through it. And that's an important indicator 
when I'm assessing my own guys or assessing guys for special operations, but also when I'm looking at my left and right and the men next to me, do they have what it takes? Can they stand next to me and suffer like I suffer? And am I willing to trust the man who can't or won't in combat? That's an important delineation that's made in Rangers and in special operations. I want to know that the man standing to the left or my right has the ability to suffer, has the ability to push through. Because I know when shit hits the fan in combat, they're going to be there fighting alongside. And I could trust them. So when you embrace this suffering, and when I chose to embrace this in zero week, I realized, look, I had nowhere to go for two months. This was my everyday life for the next two months. And if I wanted to get comfortable in this pain and suffering, I had to find a place in my head that was going to allow me to be happy. That's called my happy place. I teach that resiliency and mindset training in my special operations prep course, which we actually have a prep course November 1st through the 3rd um, that I'm personally running for anybody who's interested in improving their mindset or going into the military or going into an academy or going into something difficult. Uh, I'm running that course November 1st through the 3rd, but I teach that. I actually teach you the structure and how to develop your own personal mindset. And when, when you think about that, it gives you, when you think about that and you apply that, it gives you a few options. One, you understand that there's nothing that can be done to you that's going to hurt you. You're not going to die. They're not going to kill you. So it's not the worst case scenario. It's just some suffering. You'll get through it. And so that shift in the way that I narrated my own voice in my own head allowed me to get through zero week, allowed me to suffer in silence and even laugh when everybody else was getting down and, and grimacing in pain, I would suffer in silence or I'd laugh. I'd be like, ah, let's do this. And you would hear other Rangers doing it. They would scream like, ah, you can't hurt me kind of stuff. And when you have that change or shift in mindset, it really does something for you because it changes the way you approach all pain and all suffering, even difficult times. So Ranger School is broken down now into three phases. It used to be four, even five phases. It started in the 50s where they trained Ranger companies after World War II. It started out with the training of 17 Ranger companies, preparing them for combat. And then it evolved into a small unit tactics and combat assessment school where they train guys uh, to prepare them for war. Anybody can go to ranger school. Guys and gals now can go to ranger school. And I'm often asked, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's important. Because if you're going to lead people in combat, no matter what your job is, you need to be prepared for war. And what better way than ranger school? The first phase is Fort Benning phase, which is known as like rolling hills, lots of chiggers, lots of poison ivy. Um, probably the most miserable phase. When you get through that phase, it is because you assessed that as a subordinate, you do your job. But also as a leader, you do your job. When in charge, be in charge. You are taught planning, you're taught small unit tactics, you're taught patrolling, and then you're assessed in those leadership positions. 
The second phase of Ranger School was in Dahlonega, Georgia, in the mountains of Dahlonega, Georgia, where you learn how to operate in the mountains, how to climb mountains, how to do search and rescue, how to do patrolling in austere environments. The first thing you do when you get off the bus at a mountain phase is you walk up Mount Yona. It wasn't fun. It was a gut check. I got pretty strong legs. I didn't have a problem with it, but I remember carrying dudes up that mountain and we hadn't even started that phase of Rainer School. That phase of Rainer School is also known for their blueberry pancakes and a little bit more sleep because they need you to have, they need you to be cognitive enough to pay attention and to be safe when you're doing knots, belays, rappelling, or climbing mountains. When I went to Rainer School, I was afraid of heights. I quickly lost my fear of heights because I had to confront my fear of heights head on, which is something also beneficial in understanding how your mind works. So many people who are confronted with their fears divert their attention and their focus and their lives away from that fear. Afraid of flying? Well, just drive everywhere because you got choices, right? But if you truly want to get over your fears, you have to confront your fears. I learned that in ranger school. I learned it when I was first hooked up to do climbing with in boots and BDUs, my battle dress uniform, and to climb this mountain with a rucksack on my back. That is scary, especially when you're scared of heights. But I started to realize there are safety protocols in place to protect me. That there was a technique that would make it more likely that I wouldn't fail or wouldn't get hurt. And I started to build my confidence. The third phase of Ranger School is Swamp Phase, which is near Eglin Air Force Base in Florida. If you're afraid of water, you better get over it because you'll spend most of your time in water during Swamp Phase. Alligators, snakes, you name it. If it's in a swamp, you'll be exposed to it. We did a lot of nasty crossings in the middle of winter in Florida phase. I actually did a patrol, one of my patrols, and I had three heat casualties in one combat patrol because we were used to, to it being super cold. It got hot. People weren't hydrated properly. And when you're only eating one meal a day and only um, sleeping four hours a day, that degrades your physical resiliency and you break down. And so how do you overcome that? Well, you do so the best way you can by mitigating risk, by preparing for the eventuality. And so I learned about preparedness. I learned that in mountain phase, you could dig a hole till you hit a rock and then you couldn't hide in a foxhole. So you had to use foliage and everything you had to create a foxhole or a concealment on top. Versus the swamps where you could dig a foxhole all you wanted, but you dig that foxhole, it's going to fill up with water. So you could only go so deep. And started, I started understanding environments. I, I started understanding how the body actually worked. If I didn't want to be a cold weather injury, I didn't want to get um, hypothermia, I needed to continue to dig my foxhole. I dug my foxhole all night to stay warm sometimes. Where sleep wasn't the priority, security was. Keeping warm was the priority to stay awake. If you're really cold in extreme conditions, you, you get sleepy and you want to go to sleep. 
Ranger School used to include Desert Phase. They no longer do that. But um, what you, what's important to, to know about Ranger School is that the different phases put you in different environmental conditions to test your will, to test your resiliency. When I went through Ranger School, we dropped about half the class, meaning half the people that I started with, we didn't finish with. And that's common. Another thing uh, to pay attention to is the fact in Rainer School, you are judged by your peers. Meaning you do a peer report writing down the pros and cons. Who is the best guy? Who's the worst guy? If you're routinely the worst guy, it tells you something about yourself that maybe you aren't who you think you are. What I realized about operating with other men in those conditions is a lot of people thought they were more high speed or hardcore than they actually were. Environmental factors in survival don't take long to wear you down and break you to the core of who you really are by peeling the layers of that onion. And so the hardest dudes that I thought were the hardest dudes, even special forces guys, I was a private first class. I was in ranger school with senior Navy SEALs with senior Green Berets and I saw them get broken down. I saw them not being able to operate because they were at their worst. Something also very uh, important to understand is that every single person will break down. You will lose yourself in some form or fashion. You are not immune and it is very easy for you to be broken down. I remember I thought I had the will, resiliency, the discipline, and one night on a patrol, I fell asleep. I probably got the platoon leader who was in charge of me a no-go because of that. But I also know that same uh, platoon leader fell asleep on other guys' patrols and got them no-goes. You can't help it when you're only getting four hours of sleep, burning six plus thousand calories a day, and only getting two to three thousand calories a day. Ranger school truly tested my will and my resiliency, but through experience. It's that whole forged and fire mentality. Something interesting that I've heard recently Dan Crenshaw talk about is the ability of people to try out for buds to not understand that they are already SEALs. When they're going to buds, the only thing they're doing is validating that they are who they say they are. When you... When you kind of figure that out, then you realize that it's not so difficult if you could prove who you are um, by by doing what you say, then you're just you're already you've already made it. You're just checking the block as you go. And so when I went to Ranger School, I was already prepared. I was already Ranger qualified. I just had to prove it to myself. So when I have things like this. Special Operations Prep Course on November 1st that I'm doing. So many people ask, oh, well, I'm not physically prepared. You don't have to be physically prepared. I just want you to show up willing to learn, willing to understand what it is going to take for you to make a mind shift. One of the things that we do in that course is we actually assess you during the the entire time. I once had a dentist, great dude, who went to this course because he wanted to be better in life. And not only did that course prepare him to be better in life, but it gave him new perspective on what was important in life because he actually dug deep and realized who he was 
and his strengths and weaknesses. And then he identified those weaknesses because we told him bluntly what his weaknesses were. And then he went home willing to, to do the hard work to make those weaknesses his strengths. And then making those strengths even better. So Ranger School is that in the evaluation of it. That's why I think it's so important for people to understand that these great ventures in life, these great journeys, these, these backpacking trips, these overlanding trips, these, you know, op, these things with Peace Corps, these things with uh, a nonprofit, the reason they're so epic experiences is because they take you out of your comfort zone. When you do that, you create a new you. I coach people on trauma. One of my pet peeves is victimology. These idiots coming out, forming their identity based on the trauma they experienced and then profiting off of it or getting attention. Maybe it's social capital. They get the attention they so wanted, but it's not because of the trauma. It's because they're attention whores. They want the attention. And so what they're doing is not only destructive to themselves, but destructive to others because other people think, well, They were a victim. I'm a victim too. Now I can stand on my platform and talk about my victimhood. What they don't understand is when you choose to live your life to be identified as a victim, one, everybody suffers. Everybody's a victim in some form or fashion. Two, you are making people become a victim and living their life using their identity to be a victim instead of getting over it and making their lives better. Trauma and that those experiences that make you potentially a victim are meant to break you down to make you better. Now, obviously, some of them suck. Physical abuse, verbal abuse, um, being broken down, losing loved ones, cancer, all these things suck but it's the nature of life. I promise you, I promise you, the suffering that you experience in the United States of America is nothing in comparison to the rest of the world. But if you have a a better perspective on what it does beneficial to you and you change the narrative, you change the conversation in your own head, you'll be better prepared for it. Ranger School did that for me as a 19-year-old. I graduated ranger school as a 19-year-old private first class with a ranger tab. When I was 20 years old, because I got promoted to E4 uh, right after ranger school, when I was 20 years old, I had my expert infantry badge, my airborne wings, my ranger tab, a tomb identification badge, and I was a sergeant in the United States Army, a 20-year-old leader. Not because I was some gifted, talented dude but because I did the hard work and I put myself in a position to suffer because I understood on the output what it would do for my career, what it would do for my mind, and what it would do for me for the rest of my life. And I hope that gave you some perspective when thinking about your life moving forward um, and your life when choosing the path that you take. Sometimes I like taking the easy path, but I choose or I chose during that time and period of my life to take the most difficult path all the time. When everybody else was getting wasted going to the club, I was putting on a rucksack, getting, getting 12 miles in, and then going to bed, getting eight hours of sleep, then eating right, being disciplined. And yeah, did I throw away some years of my life 
that uh, maybe it wasn't so fun? Absolutely. But do I regret it one bit? Absolutely not. In business, I've correlated it to the same. Do I sacrifice a lot of time for business? Yes. Do I grind every day? Have I lost friend, friendships? Have I lost uh, contact with family? Have I lost some things in this pursuit? Yes. But do I have regrets? No. Because I'm following a passion of mine, which is giving my experiences and other people's experiences like Kevin, like George's, like Raul, and giving them to you guys so you guys can be better prepared because it's a focused mission statement that I have to prepare people so they don't have to suffer like I suffered because they're thinking about preparedness. They're thinking about survival. They're thinking about mindset. I look forward to doing more of this uh, mindset stuff. Uh, I'm actually going to do mikesmindset.com. It's called mikesmindset.com. If you go to that website, please forgive me. It's not the best website, but I'm lining out all the webinar stuff. I'll have webinars at a cheap price point where you guys can join me and we could talk about combat mindset. You guys can interact with me, ask me questions. We can communicate one-on-one. I want to do things like that because I want to talk to the masses about my experiences. I'm not just a soapbox that knows how to take words and masterfully put them together to make it seem like I know something about mindset. There's people who wake up and because they have money in the bank, think they're mindset or business experts. Um, I like to think that guys in special operations who have experienced real life trauma, who have lost friends, who understand resiliency, can formulate their own ideas and ways of teaching and then give that to you guys. And it's relevant across the board. If you're a first responder, you're a military guy, you're a civilian who has experienced trauma and you have a story, use that trauma to teach other people to make them better but not to make them victims. Mike'sMindset.com. I can't wait for that. Again, November 1st through 3rd in Prescott, Arizona. All-inclusive course. You pay for the, the fee. You show up. We got the rest. And trust in us that we're going to take care of you. Our, our job and our focus is to train you and to make you better prepared for life, uh, better prepared for special operations. Um, and that course will run through the 1st through the 3rd. You show up Friday evening, I believe, 1800, no later than 1800. It goes till Sunday mid-afternoon, and then uh, we counsel you guys, release you guys, and then you guys will have a life-changing experience that you guys can add to your Rolodex of experiences that will improve your mindset. We got some upcoming courses too. Uh, our upcoming courses, I'll be teaching in Las Vegas October 5th slash 6th, pistol for me on the 5th, and then carbine for me on the 6th, which is rare because I've been off the road for a bit, but I'm, I'm back on the road. Uh, I'll be teaching that course. Also, Kevin, oh, it's actually, I don't even want to mention that date, but we're setting new dates for Kevin's new long gun course. Uh, and then Raul, check out PhilCraftSurvival.com because he'll be all over the map. I can't even keep up with Raul because he's all over the map training everywhere in the U.S. Kansas City coming up. I believe that's September 15 and 16. Um, he's got Paris, California. He's got, I mean, he's everywhere. Uh, make sure you check our, our training calendar at PhilCraftSurvival.com. You know, we're sponsored by some great sponsors, Black Rifle Coffee Company, which I'm drinking their coffee right now. Uh, Philcraft 20 can save you 20% at BlackRifleCoffeeCompany.com. Um, Black Rifle Coffee has always been a strategic partner of Philcraft, and we appreciate what the guys do. Check out Matt Best's new book, uh, which is Thank You for My Service, which is a play on words, but great story about his deployments, five deployments as a ranger, 
and doing things as a contractor. Also, make sure you guys uh, uh, tune into their channels and their outlets. They're all about educating people, and also they have some of the best coffee in the world. Also, we're sponsored by KillCliff.com. KillCliff makes natural energy drinks. My favorite is the Recover. I drink the Recover after every workout. No calories, or it's 15 calories, no sugar, electrolytes, B vitamins, and it doesn't have that surplus of caffeine that just makes you feel like crap. Uh, really good, really good for you. Uh, use Survival10, Survival10 to save 10%, and that's a reoccurring coupon code. So if you want to order like me, uh, which is reoccurring, you could get that uh, like a subscription based and then keep it coming and then use Survival10 to save 10% on uh, every single purchase. Also, we're sponsored by TriarchSystems.com, T-R-I-A-R-C, TriarchSystems.com. If you're looking for a custom pistol, carbine, or rifle, the, the boys from Triarch Systems in Texas are the guys to go to. I run their, uh, their folder collapsible or the, the, the law, what is it called? The uh, law tactical folder, something like that. I'm probably hacking that up. But it's basically my truck gun. It's a 10.5 inch gun. Great build. One of the most solid AR-15 platforms I have. Also, I run their Glock 43, their custom Glock 43 as a, my everyday concealed carry gun. I also want to give a big shout out to, to Summit Off-Road here in Prescott, Arizona, local, our local business. Also, Overland Journal and the guys at Overland International. If you're into overlanding like me and we're doing overland training here soon and you want to learn more about overlanding, uh, make sure you hit Expedition Portal. Expedition Portal is a form for everything in overlanding. Classifieds, uh, talking, discussion about overland rigs where you can get real education from real experts and then talk to the community at, at Expedition Portal. In addition to that, they have a magazine called Overland Journal. I mean, I buy every Overland Journal and it sits on my coffee table. For me, it's like uh, a coffee table book where I, I don't toss them away because they're such beautiful books with photography, with travel and overlanding. But make sure you check those guys out. Also, if you're looking for local off-road, aftermarket, anything, uh, I mentioned them before, Summit Off-Road. Those guys do everything at their shop. Make sure you guys check those guys out. Hey guys, Mike.a.glover, fullcraftsurvival.com. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Until next time, stay alert, stay alive.